Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to John Neighbors, who is the host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. He also hosts a three-hour-long radio show from 1 to 4 in Little Rock, Arkansas. We talk to John about Arkansas football. We talk about where the program is headed after a breakthrough 2021 season going 9-4. and four. We talk about key players to look out for on Arkansas's roster in 2022. We also kind of break down Arkansas' schedule. Why are they scheduling teams like Cincinnati and BYU out of conference? It seems like Arkansas every year always has one of the toughest schedules in the country. John tells us why. We also talk a little Arkansas football history, reminisce on Darren McFadden, why he is so beloved to Razorback Nation. We also talk about the shortcomings and the failures of Brett Bielema in his tenure at Arkansas following Bobby Petrino. We talk all about that and more about a 25-minute discussion with John Neighbors. Without any further ado, here's our discussion with John Neighbors. Joining us is John Neighbors, a host of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast also hosts a radio show in Arkansas from 1 to 4 p.m. down there. And uh, we're here to talk about some Arkansas football. Let's talk about the team here real fast. Basically, last year was a breakout year for the Razorbacks after basically being horrible the last like four or five years, a few two and ten seasons, came out of nowhere, destroyed Texas, then went on a pretty good run there, finishing nine and four. What is the program like what are the expectations for the program going forward because there's a lot of sec teams that you know they go nine and four and they're like hey that's this kind of sucked like if texas a&m goes nine and four this year it's not gonna be a good season is arkansas gonna be a program that just kind of wants to compete and win a lot of games and obviously it aspires to be a great team one day or is the expectation like national championships and that's what we're going for. You know, I think it just depends on the Razorback fan that you ask, because there are some like unrealistic Razorback fans and uh, there are some pessimistic Razorback fans, but I've always kind of looked at it from the Arkansas perspective of saying as a football program, if they can just be a program that averages eight wins, the majority of the years, like when Cajun have a seven and five, uh, do nine and three, but have that one every four or five so years where you get to double digit wins, Razorback fans are going to be by and large extremely happy. The main thing that they've always just wanted to do is just compete. You know, I think that's uh, obviously everybody's goal to win a national championship. But, uh, you know, Arkansas has been a program that has proven in the SEC that it can win the majority of their games and they can uh, compete for sec west titles i know it's been kind of more difficult since nick saban's been at alabama but they've done it before like people forget arkansas has played in three sec championship games you know since 1992 you know ole miss hasn't played in any mississippi state's only played in one and the only reason they played in that fired. Was, yeah exactly and like uh the one that mississippi state played in was because uh they beat arkansas and they held the tiebreaker because arkansas kicker got suspended for dui so they had to go for it like on fourth down not that i remember that or anything but the point is is that uh you know, they, they've competed in the conference a lot more than people even realize. And so I think when you just think about what makes people happy and what makes them excited about the program and the future and everything, it's just a matter of competing 
game in and game out, year in and year out, and then on occasion breaking through and having that one big time year where you get to that 10, 11 win type season. I like that mentality because I feel like there's a lot of teams out there and some some you understand why, because you if you are consistently great like Alabama, if Alabama went nine and three this year, they'd probably sound some alarms. But I like that. It's like, hey, we're not going to be great every single year. That shouldn't be our expectation. But if we do have that one year that we can, you know, go to a big time bowl, maybe make it to a playoff SEC championship. I think that's a good way to look at it. Looking forward to the 2022 season, is there what is the one thing that you think Arkansas football, if there's one thing you could say that will make them successful this year, what do you think it will be? Honestly, it's it's going to come down to can they they have a lot of good players that are returning from last year's team. Obviously, KJ Jefferson, I feel like is where it's going to start the quarterback because, you know, we know that in college football you're only as good as what your quarterback situation is. And there are exceptions because it's like, you know, Georgia won the championship this past year with Stetson Ben. It's nothing against him. It's just, you know, he's not a Heisman caliber quarterback. Um, but at a place like Arkansas or a place like most schools, if you can't rely on getting five-star talent across the board to be able to, to really uh, make up for a lot of, you know, inefficiencies, you got to go with a great quarterback. You have to have an elite quarterback. And I think Arkansas has that. And KJ Jefferson, I still think he's the second best quarterback in the SEC. Uh, I don't, I don't think Hooker out of Tennessee or Levis out of Kentucky, even though they got voted above him in the All SEC team at Media Days, I don't think they're better than KJ. And so I think if KJ can just have a huge year and be able to find some of these wide receivers that have come in and uh, get them the ball effectively and not turn the ball over a lot, I think Arkansas is going to be right back to where they were last year, maybe even better, because honestly a great thing that Sam Pittman and his staff did was plugging in some of the gaps with transfers. I mean, you, you added a guy like uh, Drew Sanders at the linebacker position, who was the starting linebacker at Alabama last year for 12 games. And I'm sorry, but if he's good enough to start at Bama, he's probably good enough to start at Arkansas. And you had uh, Dwight McLaughlin, the cornerback out of LSU, who started almost every game last year, was really good for him. He's at Arkansas. Uh, Breeny, the uh, he's from Georgia. He started every game for Georgia. He won the national championship game last year at cornerback. He's coming in. So I think that the core group of guys that they have returning and the offensive line is going to be great because uh, they're returning pretty much everybody. Like that core group is going to be great. And I think Sam Pittman upgraded in a lot of those positions uh, and bringing in some guys that uh, will re really be able to help them out via the transfer portal and kind of take them into that next step. Last year, a breakout player was Traylon Burks at wide receiver. End up getting drafted in the first round, right? That's correct, yeah. Yep, yep. This year, kind of reading of the, a lot of the season previews, it was like, well, K.J. Jefferson, that was kind of a security blanket. When in doubt, throw it in Burke's direction and something good will happen. You got the transfer from Oklahoma coming in, Hasselwood. Hasselwood, right? That's his name. Yeah. Jaden. Yeah. It's J I think it's Jaden Hasselwood or Hazelwood. It's one of the two, but yes. Yeah. Him. Hazelwood. That'd be a weird way to pronounce that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it shows how much, uh, uh, you know, talking we've had with him, but uh, it's, I think people probably know who, you, who you're referring to. Yeah. Do you think he'll be enough to kind of match Burks's production or do you think it's going to be kind of maybe even it's a better thing that Burks is gone because maybe you can spread out kind of the production all over the field and maybe the defense isn't narrowing down on one guy. 
Um, I think that if you're not going to replace the production of Burks, because Burks, people, they got to realize something about Traylon Burks. Like at a place like Arkansas, like he's a generational type talent because I'm not saying he didn't put in the work, but he was just so gifted that he didn't have to like, he wasn't a guy that was just in the gym, you know, going and, and doing weight lifting and, and conditioning tests. Like he just was that not much of a natural gifted born athlete. And those come every so often, like another guy like Darren McFadden is a few, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, he was one of those guys where he was just that good. He didn't have to try too hard to be that good. And so to replace Burks, that's the type of player like that is not going to happen. But I think that you have guys like Jaden Hazelwood, like the transfer Matt Landers out of Toledo, who actually started his career at Georgia. I'm hearing nothing but insane things about him in fall camp, about his speed, his athleticism, get him involved. You got Warren Thompson, who was a player who uh, contributed last year, who was another transfer from out of four states. All these guys are just transfers. But the point is that I think that they have a lot more overall quality depth at the wide receiver position now than what they did last year. Because Burks was everything, and that was fine because he was that good. I mean, everybody would love to have a player like Traylon Burks. But uh, with him being gone, I think Sam Pimmon and the staff did a good job of saying, all right, you know, I always think about like maybe like the movie Moneyball when they're talking about, hey, you're not going to replace Giambi, but you can get three players that can make up for the lost production. I think that that's kind of the way. It's like you're not going to replace Burks, but we got two or three guys that can come in by committee and being able to make up that production that we lost. Who do you think could be a player this year that could emerge from Arkansas's roster and could be the next Arkansas player to be drafted in the first round? Who are some of the best NFL draft prospects on this team? Well, I think, honestly, Ricky Stromberg, who plays center, he's going to be probably the first race back taken in this upcoming year's draft. Uh, he's, he's he's a Remington Award like watch list, and he was a first-team All-SEC this year, so if you're going just off of like offensive, just in general, as far as draft picks, the offensive lineman for Arkansas is going to be, as he's probably going to be the first taken. But I think still think KJ Jefferson is going to be a, a NFL caliber quarterback, especially if he continues to get better this year. I think he will. And the guy that I've really liked, and I know that there's been uh, people talking about him, and he's really was a highly recruited coming out of high school. He's only a second year player, so he gets this season and next season. But uh, Rocket Sanders, he's the running back for Arkansas. Uh, he lives up to his name. I mean, the dude is big. He's fast. He's physical. Uh, him and Dominic Johnson, both in that running back position, have been that. But Rocket has actually played wide receiver in high school, and he's just so gifted as an athlete that they're like, hey, let's put him at running back. So he's got great hands if they need to throw it, throw it out to him. And he's just a, a built like you would want to have if you're an NFL running back. So I think this year he's going to really stand out. I think he's going to make a name for himself and really be that guy heading into next season that people are going to be talking about as far as being one of the best running backs in the country. Why does Arkansas always want to schedule very tough opponents out of conference? It seems like almost every year you look at the toughest schedules in college football. I think this year I was looking at one before we recorded and they were like at least the top five. I think they were fourth maybe. And you look at the schedule this year, Obviously, you're in the toughest division in college football with Alabama, the Mississippi's, um, who am I forgetting off the top of my head? In the SEC West, Auburn, LSU. Uh, there's one more I'm forgetting. A&M. A&M. Yeah, and A&M. Then you also go out of conference this year. 
schedule. Cincinnati, who was just in the playoff, did lose a lot of players, but they're still going to be a good team. And a BYU team that is always very good, a physical team. What what's the deal? Why why does Arkansas want to schedule all these tough teams out of conference? I try I chuck it up to seriously just bad timing and luck because you know in college football these games are scheduled out years in advance, like yeah. sometimes 10, 15 years in advance. And I always look back and laugh upon you know Arkansas back in two thousand and five played USC on the road in Los Angeles. That team had guys like Matt Leinert, Reggie Bush, all those guys. And Arkansas lost 70 to 17. And everyone was like, why in the world? How did how did they schedule USC? Well, Arkansas scheduled USC in 1997 to play them when they were not a good program. And it, I think it's just happened the same way with Cincinnati is when Arkansas scheduled it was before Luke Fickle got there. I wanted to say it was back when Tommy Tuberville was still the coach is when they actually scheduled that. And so it's literally just bad timing. Uh, and like Missouri State, they played a few times, but little like they've always had that game scheduled. But I mean, they're playing Bobby Petrino. Like Bobby Petrino is coming back to Fayetteville because he's the head coach of Missouri State. So the BYU game on the road was one that um, was scheduled. And I think that that was probably the one marquee one. And also people got to remember too, in the SEC, they have a rule where you have to play at least one power five caliber team in your non-conference every year. And so Arkansas has to schedule people, and it just happens to be uh, really good teams when those times come around, too. I was trying to look up, because there was, I always remembered uh, being a younger kid and going to Iowa State games and looking at our schedule, because we we always schedule Iowa out of conference. Plus, especially since the Big 12 became 10 teams, you play every team in the Big 12, which you don't really have to deal with this because you play Alabama every single year. But I think sometimes Big Ten teams or maybe even some SEC teams don't realize how nice it is. You know, it's pretty nice if you're in the Big Ten West and you don't have to play Ohio State every year and Penn State every year and Michigan every year. So Iowa State would have to play, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, when Texas was pretty good. But then we also scheduled Utah out of conference for a few years. So I was trying to look up what year they were playing them out of conference because those were the years where Iowa State was at the top of the strength of schedule rankings but last yeah. time played Utah 2010 five win season not that bad for Iowa State uh back to Arkansas <laughs> you mentioned Darren McFadden earlier is he like the best you know most popular former Razorback you know around campus kind of like the most legendary player yeah I mean, he's the greatest Razorback football player to ever play. Uh, I mean, I, I know that uh, he – I still believe he got screwed out of a Heisman Trophy. Um, Maybe he twice. The, well, I will – well, here's my thing. People say that Tim Tebow deserved that Heisman. I mean, I know people say what they want about it, but the dude had like 60 touchdowns. Like, But the problem was is McFadden lost it against Troy Smith, and the reason McFadden didn't win it, the whole argument was – well, it's never been given to a sophomore. A sophomore has never won the Heisman Trophy. And then the next freaking year is when they give it to a sophomore and Tim Tebow. So it's almost like, you know, if McFadden would have come two years later, he probably would have won the Heisman because that would have already been, that mold would have been broken. But that was the one that he really got screwed on the most. And the reason that I will always say, and I will go to my grave saying Darren McFadden is the greatest running back, not only in Razorback history, 
but of the entire 2000s, he was the greatest running back in all of college football. I'm, I'm saying better than Reggie Bush. I'm saying better than Adrian Peterson. I'm saying better than all those guys is because the one thing that those guys had on those teams was they also had a legitimate passing threat to be able to help balance that rushing attack and open up those doors and those holes for those guys. Darren McFadden had zero passing threat on the teams he was on. Zero. Like, I think in that first year, Mitch Mustang threw for like 1,500 yards, like as a starter. Like, that was it. He threw 10 touchdowns and nine picks, something crazy like that. And then the next year, Casey Dick was his quarterback. And I think Casey didn't even make it to 2,000 yards either. So they just went so run heavy, which was fine. It worked out. But like, he was able, like, every everybody in the world knew who was getting the ball for Arkansas. It's not like they were going up against LSU and Bama. It's not like it was a surprise when it's like, hey, who's this guy? Like, everyone knew. When Darren McFadden is on the field, he's getting the ball. And even though they knew that and they didn't have to respect the passing game, they still couldn't stop him. They still couldn't stop him. Like LSU won the national championship in 2007. And they have the best defense, one of the best defenses in the country. And Darren McFadden by himself rushed for almost 200 yards and threw a touchdown pass. And uh, also, uh, also, I believe, caught a touchdown pass in that game. And like was accountable for like 250 total yards against LSU. So, yeah, he's to answer your question, he's the he is the legend. He is the greatest Razorback football player to ever play. And not only that, but people don't realize that the cool story about him. Real quick, he's from Arkansas. He's from Central Arkansas. Grew up in Little Rock, and he was a five star player coming out of high school. Like one of the very few five stars to ever come out of Arkansas. And he committed to Arkansas his sophomore year before his sophomore year of football even started. And he refused to take visits anywhere else. He didn't even take phone calls from other coaches. Like, because he's like, I'm going to Arkansas. I don't care. That's where I always wanted to go. I wanted to be a Razorback. And like Philip Fulmer has the story that he tried so hard to get him. He tried like calling him all the time, every time. And every time he picked up the phone, he says, sorry, coach, I'm going to Arkansas. So that's what makes him even more of a legend in Razorback fan, fans' minds is because not only was he a great player, but he loves Arkansas and everything about Arkansas and always wanted to be a Razorback. You know what he's doing now? Because I, I don't. He's not in the NFL still, is he? No, no. Um, he's kind of just really, you know, enjoying retirement from the NFL. Uh, I know that you know he'll make appearances every so often. I had him on my radio show uh, a year ago, and I think that you know he's just one of those guys that kind of goes along with the flow of everything, living off of the money he made in the NFL because he did make good money. Uh, he's living here in Arkansas, just chilling. So. I mean, I think he's just living his dream. That's awesome, too. I also think we should, with running backs in the Heisman, we need to just give them a little bit of an extra bump every now and then because it's just become a quarterback award. Yeah, I agree. I think that, like, some quarterbacks are deserving. Um, yeah, yeah, of but, course. Yeah, but I think that there's a lot of times where running backs – it's, well, it's just, I don't know, running backs is just such a, like, almost like a lost art in football now. It's not the same position it used to be. Like, Darren McFadden was averaging, like, 30 carries a game. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore for running backs, where one guy averages that many carries. It's just almost unheard of. Iowa State got up there with Brees Hall. They they were running him too much, I felt like. But I've talked too much about Brees Hall on my podcast before. <laughs> what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the name Brett Bielema. Failure. Mm. Pretty much. Uh, because, you know, I when he, when he came to Arkansas, 
you got to remember, people got to remember what the circumstances were. You know, Arkansas just fired Bobby Petrino and Bobby Petrino went 21 and five in two years with Arkansas. He brought him, he had, ten, he went 10 wins and 11 wins back to back years. Like that's insane. And he, uh, too, I was looking at this stuff last night, those, those, those seasons too, like the only losses, if you look at Arkansas schedule were like, I think the, what was his last year? They went 11 and then two. And the two losses were to LSU and Alabama when they played the national championship game. Yep. Those are the only two losses. And the year before that, they only lost two games in the regular season and they lost to Alabama by, they were the number one team at the time. They lost to them only by four. And the other team was they lost to Auburn and Cam Newton, who, of course, went on to win the national championship. Mm -hmm. So it just shows you how good Arkansas was. Like, they were, in most cases, the second or third best team in the SEC. And at that time, may have been second or third best team in the country because that's really when SEC was at its peak. But to go back to the old Brett Bielema thing, Arkansas fans were very upset that Petrino got fired because they knew how good he was. John L. Smith, the interim, comes in, goes four and eight with a loaded team. Like everything's so bad and disastrous. And then Brett Bielma comes in, and everyone's like, wow, okay, this is actually a pretty big time hire. Three straight Big Ten titles at him, and he's coming to Arkansas. And he came in, and it's like, you know, he talked about some of the right things. And, but everybody was kind of just still like a little weird. They're like, why though? Like, this is something must be wrong. You don't just leave Wisconsin after three straight Big Ten titles to come to Arkansas. Like there just seems like there was something off. And then he got here and he started like running his mouth about other coaches and other, like he kept, he would go on Twitter and trash talk Wisconsin fans that would tweet at him. Like while he was the coach at Arkansas, like stuff like that, where it's just like, dude, like, I don't, I don't understand what you're like, what's the point of this? And, but people were like, okay, well, the thing is he's taking over kind of an interesting situation, but there's a lot of talent still on this team. Well, then this dude goes three and nine in his first year, goes 0 and eight in conference play, which had never been done up until that point in Razorback football history. And everyone's like, whoa, like he kept trying to blame it on lack of talent and all those things. And it just wasn't the case. Like we, I go back and look that 2013 football team that Arkansas had that went three and nine, it had nine NFL players on it. Nine. Like you had three, three of your defensive linemen were drafted and play in the NFL. Uh, one of your linebackers was an All-American. You had a quarterback that's the backup for Joe Burrow right now in the NFL, and it's been there for a while. You had Jonathan Williams and Alex Collins, who both played in the NFL for many for a few years. You had uh, an offense. Uh, Travis Swanson was your center, who was a Remington Award finalist who played in the NFL for nearly ten years. Like just loaded with talent, loaded with talent. And he went three and nine. So I think kind of people saw the writing on the wall and it just went downhill from there. And he was a guy that would lash out to the fans. He started getting lazy. He started, uh, you know, the rumors were always going around, but they're not really rumors because it's kind of confirmed. But he started drinking a lot, uh, not really caring much about football and coaching anymore. And, is you know, it's just he got lazy. He got he got fat, rich and lazy. This is simply what happened. And then, uh, you know, the ultimate thing happened where, the athletic director, Jeff Long, wouldn't fire him. The board of trustees were like, dude, fire this guy. It's horrible. This is bad. Jeff Long refused to fire him. So they're like, all right, well, we'll fire you, Jeff Long, and then we'll fire Brett Bielema. So it was something that could have been good. It felt like it had potential to be good, but he torpedoed the program pretty quickly. I mean, and just sounds like something that, you know, a University of Iowa alum would do. I mean, just kind of seems <laughs> kind of their character, I guess. Just yeah. 
Yeah, he loved that little Hawkeye tattoo on his leg that he would show off all the time. And people were like, dude, no one cares here. Dude, he, he talked trash to the Iowa State head coach <laughs> when he was a player for Iowa. Yeah, see, that was his thing is he talked trash and he never backed it up. Like he and like and he and that's the thing about why well, I, I also he have backed it up against Iowa State because that was the dark period of Iowa State football. But right, right. But that's I think what happened to him when he got to the SEC. It's like he came in and was like really talking trash to everybody. One of the most famous quotes <clears throat> that uh, ever happened was uh <clears throat> Patrick Mahomes in Texas Tech came into Fayetteville and beat Brett Bielma in 2015. I mean, just beat him good. And uh, Cliff Kingsbury was the coach. <laughs> Excuse me. And afterwards, he comes in the press conference. Cliff Kingsbury says, he's like, Brett Bielma came into our one of our coaches' uh, clinics down in high school uh, in Texas, and he says, we're going to kick your ass with a with a fullback. And like Cliff Kingsbury is like, well, you saw what happened. We just kicked his ass. So it's like, just even talk trash for no reason, and he just looked bad for doing it. So why do you think he went to like why did he leave Wisconsin to go to Arkansas? Was it just a money grab? No, no, I think it was at least the story was that he that Barry Alvarez, the AD, uh wouldn't allow him to keep assistant coaches and like pay him. And so they wow. that was the rumor. But honestly, I think that uh nobody gave credit really to Brett Bielma for the success there. It was all because of Barry Alvarez. And I think that that's actually been true because like Wisconsin, for whatever reason, can have any coach up there and they still win 10 games. I don't know why or how, but it seems like every time they get a new coach, they do well. But I think it was just he got like. I think that he just got tired of Alvarez getting a lot of the credit and being kind of that AD that always looked over his shoulder. And so he wanted to go somewhere else and get paid a lot of money. And so Arkansas became available. Yeah, you're in the shadow of the legend. Makes a lot of sense. is because the Arkansas basketball program recently has been very, very good with Eric Musselman riding the must bus. Would you say that Arkansas might be a basketball school instead of a football school? Don't you guys have like three, five stars on the roster this year? You know, first off, yes. And Arkansas, of course, as a basketball program, um, I still think that they're, I don't know if you can call them a blue blood because there's a lot of factors, but how I've always felt. They're a red team. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like how I've always felt though about basketball programs or just any programs. I'm like, you can call yourself an elite program if you've had at least if you've had multiple Hall of Fame coaches. That's kind of how I look at it. Where it's not just a coach that makes you as like Billy Donovan of Florida. Like Florida's not a good pro basketball program. Billy Donovan was just a great coach. And Arkansas, they had Nolan Richardson and Eddie Sutton, like two Hall of Fame coaches. No one won a national championship at Arkansas. And now you have Eric Musselman where he's just killing it. And they could win the national championship this year. Like, they have that type of talent. Uh, But as far as Arkansas being a basketball school, this is something I've been asked a lot about. And it looks like on paper they should be. They should be a basketball school. But I've always felt like the best way to know what type of school you are is if you pull the fan base and say you get one national championship to win in one sport, what championship would you want to win the most? And for Arkansas, they'd all say football as much as they love basketball and they love baseball. Like they love all of their sports. But if you had, if they had to choose a championship to win, it would be in football. So it is a football school. Now it's not 
the elite level of football, but the level of passion that people have for Razorback football is extremely high. But it's extremely high for basketball, too. I mean, they're one of the few uh, fan bases that can have 20,000-seat arena and pack it, you know, just to see basketball games. So I've always said it's a it's just a Razorback state. Like, they just love all the sports. But football is definitely the one that they would want to win the title and be great in the most. Makes a lot of sense. Part of the thing uh, that I do, and I ask this to almost every new person that I talk to, is I think sometimes we always, or especially in college sports, we're always in our little bubble. So we don't kind of understand the dynamics and everything that's going on in a bunch of other conferences. Who do you think is the most annoying team in the SEC? Like who who about week five this season is like what fan base is going to be like all riled up about something and you're going to be like, oh, these guys again. Well, that's tough because um, there's a lot of them. It just depends on what it just depends on what happens for their season. Um, the craziest ones, but they don't really impact anybody but themselves are Auburn fans just because they're, they're unrealistic expectations for things. And you saw like the stuff that happened to Brian Harson. Like they're insane, but they only self-inflict their wounds. They don't really bother anybody else. They just bother themselves. Um, but A&M fans are really wacky and weird. It's like a cult down there with yeah. their like movements of stuff. And like they're, they don't have cheerleaders. They have yell leaders. Like they're just weird. Like they're bad, but they're weird. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I feel like, honestly, probably the fan base that is is one of the worst. I think Tennessee, the volunteer fans, um, like, they're just they're, – they're just pissed off all the time, and they just want to fight everybody for I – mean, just they don't need a reason. Like, they just are angry all the time. And if they get a little bit of success, they become monsters. Like you should have seen them in, in baseball this past year where they were the number one team in baseball for the majority of the year. And I was so happy to see them lose in the Super Regional. But, oh, my goodness, you would have thought that they were the elite baseball program, like, of all time. And if you ever said anything about them, they would just come after you. So, Tennessee fans in general are really bad. Uh, Ole Miss fans can be pretty bad, too, just because, like, they're so irrelevant in sports for the most part. Uh, they did win it in baseball this past year, which still, you know, stings a little bit. But like they like they're they're I don't know. It's like they become really good and you know, they had a good year this past year and like they start believing that they're a national championship caliber team. But I'm like, you know what, take away the Mannings from your football program and you're about as irrelevant as anybody. Like the fact that last year was their first 10 win season in history tells a lot. Like, that's bad. So I don't know. I feel like those are probably the ones that will always bug me Alabama fans don't bug you because they're just so good you know it's like what are you going to say to them like and they know it they're like they don't care about you they just care about themselves and they better win every game so I mean they're not bad um but yeah that's pretty much it as far as the loud fan bases that are really annoying yeah every person that covers an SEC team that I've had on always says Tennessee yeah. so I, I I was expecting that I, I'm surprised you didn't mention Missouri at all because they're kind of like you guys kind of have a little bit of a rivalry with them, don't you not? No, no. Like it's it's a stupid fictional made up rivalry that like nobody like you know. Did you ever like in school you go know, like where you know in elementary school they're like all right everybody partner up you know partner up we're gonna do a, a, a science thing or whatever <laughs> and then like there's always those two kids that nobody picked 
uh, to partner with. And then it's like, all right, well, then you two go ahead and partner. That's what the Arkansas-Missouri game was, where everybody else had a final game of the year, like team that they would play. Arkansas used to be LSU every year. But when AM joined the conference, they made that one, which I still think is extremely bothersome and makes me mad. But Arkansas and Missouri were the only two teams that had nobody to play at the end of the year. So they're just like, all right, y'all play each other. And then they made up this stupid rivalry that's called the battle line rivalry. And it's just, it's dumb. It's fabricated. It's made up. It doesn't exist. They just play each other at the end of the year. Missouri tries extremely hard to hate Arkansas and all that. But I'm like, again, I've always felt like with the rivalry, again, I kind of pose a poll to the fan base. Which team do you hate the most? Which team do you want to beat the most? Like those are usually how you can dictate who the rivalries are. No one cares about Missouri. Like they want to win the game, but no one's sitting there saying, oh, the number one game I want to win this year is, is Missouri. No, no one's saying that. They're saying LSU. They're saying Ole Miss. They're saying A&M. They're not saying Missouri. And honestly, I don't even know if Missouri wants to beat Arkansas the most. Like, I feel like they hate Kansas still more than they hate Arkansas. So and I was not a rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with all the connections that they used to have against each other. Yeah, Iowa State and Missouri used to have a rivalry game for a trophy like a long, long time ago. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they ditched Iowa State to go to another red team, Arkansas. Uh, John, I'll I'll let you go now. Do you want to tell everybody uh, where we can find all of your work and uh, how we can follow everything that you're doing? Yeah, um, I basically am on every social media account. Uh, it's at Buzz John Neighbors with Neighbors spelled N A B O R S. So you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me. I'm, I'm on TikTok. I don't know why, but I am. And and so like I'm on there. And also uh, you can listen to my podcast, the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. The number one Razorback podcast in the entire world, according to wow. the 2021 uh, rankings of podcasts. So uh, if you want all things Razorbacks on a podcast forum, mine's the best, apparently. I'm going to crow until it's not anymore. Uh, so you can listen that way. And also I do a radio show from 1 to 4 on 103.7 The Buzz uh, out of Little Rock. So if you're ever in the area and you're driving through 1 to 4, you'll hear my voice on it as well. Awesome. Thanks a lot, John. No problem. <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Thank you again for to John Neighbors for joining us. Thank you all out there for listening to me. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you try and follow the podcast and me on Twitter and Instagram. If you search Sports Detective, my name will probably come up. So do all that stuff. Follow the podcast. We are going to be cranking up the content here, hopefully in the next few weeks, bringing back old guests, trying to introduce new guests, talking about all things college football, heading into this fall. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you sometime soon.